Welcome to the Project Fitness Podcast for fitness professionals and fitness enthusiasts who want to be better at life. Fitness is the greatest investment of anyone's life. However, it's not easily obtained, and anyone who says different is just plain wrong. Join award-winning personal trainer and strength conditioning coach Chris Fudge every Monday as he explores all aspects of fitness that can lead you to your optimal health. If you want to learn useful, practical how-tos of weight loss, exercise science, nutrition, or just how to optimize your time in the gym and life. Welcome to another episode of the Project Fitness Podcast. Today, we are joined again by Dr. Mark Morris. And there's no big introduction needed here because I don't know if you're aware, Mark, the last episode that you came on was the highest viewed episode you know, in the short term of the podcast, but it was the highest viewed. So a lot of people already know who you are. You got a PhD in human nutrition. You run the Dr. Mark Method coaching program. Welcome back. Thanks for having me back. I'm excited to chat again. I'm uh, glad the first one went over so well. It was a, it was a great discussion and like a, just a great group of uh, individuals. So I'm happy to be back. Yeah, a lot of questions came in. A lot of people were contacting me, asking me some stuff. And and I said, okay, well, you know, we'll get Harry back on here. We'll talk about this. Owen's already discussed this thing here. And then one thing that was coming up a lot was, oh, I was hoping you guys would go a little bit more into things like flexible dieting and if it fits your macros. And I was like, that's that's Mark's specialty. So yeah, we're gonna yeah. we're gonna discuss that today. But quickly, I had a pizza for lunch, an entire pizza for lunch but it's okay because it fits my macros. I've heard people say that. Why don't you jump right into it? What does that even mean? Does it fit your macros? Yeah, no. So, I mean, when we have a lot of times people are paying attention to their nutrition to hit some sort of specific body composition goal, be it, you know, getting leaner or gaining muscle, and we need a certain amount of food to be able to do that. And the premise around if it fits your macros is, is a tracking based approach where we're tracking daily targets of the macronutrients, the big components of our food, protein, carbohydrates, and fat that are measured in grams and tracking towards targets. And the premise is no foods are, are good or bad. So if it fits within those targets that have been predetermined for your needs, um, you should be able to do that. Um, and I think a lot of the misconceptions come up is that just because you you could do that. You should do that. And that not, it's not always the case. Do you want to elaborate a little bit? Yeah, no, totally. So, I mean, and this is where we've talked in the past and, um, my, my approach is more on the flexible dieting side of things where there's less emphasis on doing whatever you want for the sake of it, which I think has kind of been almost like the bastardized version of, um, flexible dieting. I think maybe it was popularized by social media accounts and people just, you know, loving to live on the extremes of stuff. So just because you could, you, you can do something doesn't mean you should. And if we're tracking our macronutrients and the, the best thing about a lot of this stuff is that if it fits your macros and flexible dieting is taking away a lot of food rules in terms of what you shouldn't, shouldn't be doing. And, and takes away a lot of the stigma around good or bad food, because at the end of the day, it's all just food. It's going to have different nutritional profiles and give us different micronutrients and stuff, but there's really no such thing as like, there's no morality around food. It's not good or bad. There's just better or worse choices within the context of our goals and our specific requirements and kind of what we're trying to accomplish or situations and stuff. But with that being said, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. And especially when someone's on lower levels of calories and they're trying to get leaner, uh, eating a food like, like food, like pizza that has a lot of calories, a lot of carbohydrates and fat, it's just going to take up a lot of your food and displace 
some of the calories that could come from more nutrient dense foods um, that would promote like, you know, like better overall health. So not to say that you shouldn't eat pizza because you should occasionally. And this is nutrition, especially in terms of body composition is a game of compromise. So mm-hmm. the day you eat the pizza, it's nice to know somewhat liberating to know, because I know a lot of people grew up in the, in the bodybuilding bro culture of, you know, here's my six Tupperwares and this is what it looks like. So it's, it's liberating in that sense, but yeah. just because you can do that doesn't mean you should. And I think it's a rude awakening for a lot of people. Um, you know, when they plug that into a tracking based app and then see that they don't have much more food left overall, that's just not going to be good for adherence as well. Mm-hmm. Right. In terms of sticking to it. So just because you should, doesn't mean, um, it's a viable strategy. hundred percent, hundred percent. So when someone works with you and they want to, they have body composition goals, let's say they want to get leaner and where, where do you start with them when you, you want to see, here's your macros. How do you determine that? Is there a formula that you like to use? How do you go about yeah. it? Yeah. So there's a bunch of like, in terms of macronutrient intake is always going to be set for, for starters based on our calorie intake, right? It's a function of that, like where our calories actually come from are going to be the large components of our food, those macronutrients. So we've got to set a calorie level first, and that's just going to come down to estimating someone's energy expenditure. How many calories are they burning and what do they need to be doing depending on their goals? So you set that first, get a better sense of that. There's going to be equations that will have are accurate and less accurate, varying degrees, depending on what variables you pump in. Right. If I knew, if you, if I knew you, you came into a lab, I knew exactly your, all your like metrics in terms of height, weight, but also like, um, lean body mass, we could get really close in terms of measuring what your BMR is and in your energy expenditure and stuff that way. A lot mm-hmm. of people aren't going to have access to that. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Because what we're trying to do is just make a best estimate in a starting place. Um, to get some sense of that. And the kind of the detractors of a tracking based approach will always say, well, there's like a bunch of inaccuracies here. Like, you know, you're never going to get that close to what the true level is as well as your food, like, you know, nutrition labels can be off. All this stuff can be off. Just making the case for why you shouldn't like, you, you don't need to be doing that. And, mm-hmm. and my take on all this stuff is when someone comes to me, they have a specific result. We're going to try to be as accurate as we can be in some elements of inaccurate scientific approaches just because it's all relative anyway. And it's going to give us the best shot of success in Mm -hmm. terms of results. And what people learn and experience and develop through that process can be really, really profound. So I always kind of take a step back and think about it that way, but get a sense of someone's energy expenditure. What we kind of do and what I teach in the Dr. Mark method is, yes, let's use a formula like um, the Mifflin St. Gior formula or the um, Harris-Benedict equation. Like that is really accessible because you really only need someone's height, weight, age, um, body weights, and a rough estimate of their uh, activity levels. Mm-hmm. Um, and not if it would be nice if we had lean body mass, but most people won't have access to that. And that's okay. But get a sense of that. So we have a place to start. What we do is take that calculation, but also compare it to what they're actually doing. So I like to call that a theoretical calculation as well as an actual. So an actual is like, let's get you actually tracking for a three to five day period. Ideally, a day on the weekend as well, because people's food habits and routines are out of whack, Mm -hmm. get an average of what that is like, and also assess what happens with your body weight throughout that process. And a lot of times when people start paying attention to that stuff, we'll notice that um, their body weight comes down on more than average than we would expect through that process. And that kind of alludes to the fact that they might be burning more calories than they're taking in from the onset. So we're using 
different pieces of the puzzle to get a better idea of where to start someone at and then start to fit um, those tracking targets for macronutrients within those calories. Yeah, it's, so it's, it's, it's CSI. My wife watches a lot of CSI these days, COVID, uh-huh. right? Yeah. So how does CSI start off? They walk into the crime scene, right? Uh-huh. Body yeah. part there, blood there, weapon there. So they have these pieces, they collect data and then they put it together to try to figure it out. What yeah. I'm hearing is you collect data and then based on the data, you make decisions, eat this, don't eat this, remove this, add this, yeah. right? Well, yes. And well, I think the biggest thing right here is we add the structure for what people need to be doing. It's not, it's like basically like you came into me um, for some personal finance advice. Like I got to get a sense of what you're spending mm-hmm. um, and what you're making so that I can tell you what this would look like to reach your goal. That has nothing to do with what you're going to do to actually reach your goal, but we need the structure there first. And that's what we're really trying to do is let's develop a structure to fit within. Clients love that. Individuals love that because they now have expectations, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's like, here's something that I can shoot towards. Again, detractors for this kind of stuff, people that aren't proponents of it will be like, well, like, you know, you're not going to be able to do this perfectly. So why should you do that at all? And that is not the point at all. Like, especially from this onset to the beginning, we just get a better sense of what you're doing right now. You're going to get much better at it as you go. Like any other skill, it's going to become better. And coaches need to be from the onset, knowing that number one, this doesn't need to be perfect and it's going to get better as they go. And that actually factors into the next point is like, where do we actually set these numbers? There's going to be optimal levels for the macronutrients based on someone's goals, depending on what kind of exercise they're doing, depending on if they're looking to gain muscle or lose fat or just improve some sort of sports performance. There's ranges for the macronutrients. Mm -hmm. Where most people go wrong is that they go right to the optimal, quote unquote, optimal level right off the bat and don't give themselves a chance for their habits to actually catch up, Mm -hmm. uh, which is tough from a coaching perspective, right? Like uh, someone comes to you to be a, a power lifter and they've never touched a barbell before. Like we're not going to put them on like, you know, block 37 of Shiko, uh, yeah. like just to like get into like four days of all three movements and stuff, right? Like that's not what we're going to do. Like we're going to build up to what we think is going to be optimal. So mm-hmm. we start there. So for protein, for example, like most people that are like, a lot of, a lot of people are looking to get leaner. So it makes sense from a protein perspective to have a bit more protein because it is sparing to the existing tissue that we do have. No one wants to just lose weight and become a smaller version of themselves. They want to get leaner and retain the muscle that they do have. It's never a perfect science. It's typically around like when done well. And when I say done well, I mean, they lose mostly fat in some muscle. It's like a three to one ratio in most cases. Uh, and when they do well, they, do some resistance training, eat enough protein and spare the muscle they do have. It's like three pounds of fat, one pound of, of muscle for every four total pounds. So Mm -hmm. when they do that, it's like the number of amount of protein they should be eating is around like 2.0 grams per kilogram of body weight. Again, if we knew, if we knew fat-free mass or lean body mass, we could probably get a little more accurate in terms of what this individual should be eating. But most times we don't, we don't know that and that's okay. Now, so why don't just, so if someone has access to getting body fat percentiles, whether they're using the machines or they got a trained professional using calipers, would mm-hmm. you then take that number in? It would be, it would be more accurate for sure. Yeah. yeah. Now, now yeah. what about the scales? Like how accurate are those scales? 
Uh, well, like for the in-body, for example, like it, it's correlated pretty well to DEXA. And yeah. again, it's just going to give you a little bit more accurate. So when we're talking about people being on either end of the extremes, like someone severely underweight or someone severely overweight, where lean body mass starts to become disproportionately affected, it can be more accurate, right? Mm. Just because we're going to have a better idea of that stuff. Uh, someone that's like, um, a 200 kilo individual, we're not going to put them on 400 grams of protein just because they'll never get there. And that's yeah. okay. Like, right. Yeah. So we got to like factor that kind of stuff in. So if we're talking about an optimal range for them, like it's going to be on the lower end of things. So having some access to lean body mass would be helpful. And a tool like um, the in, in body scanner or calipers and doing like some baseline, like doing some calculations in terms of now you have body fat percentage, let's subtract off the rest, get a better sense of what your lean body mass is, is helpful just because it allows us to calculate mm -hmm. a little bit closer to that stuff. Mm -hmm. The thing you got to remember about nutritional science too, is that, <clears throat> you know, there's a hierarchy of evidence. And as we go up, we start to compile all the good evidence together and, you know, meta analyses and take it all together. All this stuff is a lot of times is like averages of averages. And we got to remember that like, the average is the, the middle point of a bunch of data points, right? And people are going to be on opposite ends of those data points, right? There's a range, right? So someone that's like, I feel like when a client comes to me and says, I feel really good on like 2.5 grams per kilogram of protein, and that might be on the upper end of the range or the higher end of the range. Mm -hmm. I take, I take that, you know, as another piece of the puzzle, another piece of the yeah. crime scene, right? Where it's yeah. like, well, no, well, the you text found another, you just found another finger. Right. Exactly. The, the, the textbook, the textbook says that's a little too much. Right. And it's like, yeah. well, no, I'll factor that into what I know to be true and add it in the piece of the puzzle. And maybe sometimes they're wrong, but maybe sometimes they're right. And they could be on, they could be an outlier on the opposite end of the range. Right. And, and that's just all the stuff that a good, a good evidence-based coach that knows how to practically apply things and the application of stuff will do because it's not so much about being right as it is about helping the person in front of you. Right. And mm -hmm. sometimes that it's not always the same thing. Yeah. In nutrition, yeah. when you mentioned that we try to get it as close to as possible, the industry of nutrition, people are obsessed with being exact, right? Mm -hmm. They're like, if I can't be exact, why bother? You already said that. And I would argue that nutrition is, is just below religion and politics when you want to have a disagreement with someone. Oh, it's the, it's, well, I, and I don't know if it's, if it's because of everyone eats or if <laughs> like, or what it is, but man, and it's, it's polarizing and it's strange. And even we've seen it a lot in terms of like just people living on either end of the extremes and, and where even trusted nutrition professionals are now taking approaches that are a bit more subjective and kind of like veered from what they've traditionally done. Like the field mm -hmm. of dietetics, we're seeing more intuitive eating and subject subjective based stuff, less food rules, but also less like objective parameters mm -hmm. where you see that. And then on the opposite end of this, <laughs> on the opposite end, we're seeing people like um, only eat one meal a day and only meat and only this and, and like, right. Like, yeah, no, exactly. But it's like, it's like, you know, it's almost like the, the middle is just mm -hmm. like evaporating. Right. Yeah. And it's kind of weird where that starts to happen on either end of the things. And sometimes I don't know if it's reactionary or what it is, but it definitely is interesting. And where most people would benefit is like hanging out right in the middle. Mm -hmm. Agree. hundred percent. And when it comes to nutrition, I always, I always go back to things like, like my dad, my, like the bill fudge in my world survived mm -hmm. off 30 cups of coffee, no water, a block of cheese, 
you know, sleeve of crackers. Like that was the man's diet, uh-huh. right? Yeah. He lived, he lived, like he's alive. Yeah. He looks a little older than he is, but uh-huh. he's still making it. Yeah. So sometimes when people like, I'll talk about, you know, nutrition and protein's a very simple one. You should mm-hmm. have more protein than what you're eating right now. Well, Chris, my kidneys are going to explode. Yeah. No, you'll, you'll, you'll be okay. Mm-hmm. And that might say like, well, it's really bad. I'm like, listen, my dad's been living off cheese and crackers for 60 some years. Yeah. If he can make it, you'll be okay having a little more protein than you normally are. Totally. Yeah. Well, and even, I don't know, it's, it's interesting, right. With protein. Cause obviously a lot of people like do resistance training. Like we know it's not even just about resistance training anymore. Resistance training, you want to gain muscle. Like that's one of the main reasons why people are doing it. But in terms of like um, life cycle and improving your health over age, we've learned so much more about how important muscle is as we age, right? Like decreasing risk of falls, just quality of life, right? So people people want to gain muscle. And it's like, well, you know, what's the building blocks of a muscle? Amino yeah. acids, like we need more protein, that, that kind of stuff. Interestingly enough, like you eat more protein, you typically like oxidize and burn more of it off in your liver. And that's like, that's fine. Like that's, that's okay. Right. But people will cherry pick evidence and take certain things and just like go to the extreme with it. Right. And kind of paint the picture that either you don't need it or you need more of it. And it's just a, it's an interesting place to be in. So, Mm -hmm. um, that, I guess uh, that the premise around a lot of these like tracking based and number based approaches are setting some targets, um, within your goals and approaching your nutrition that way in a tracking based um, fashion to get to a specific result. Mm -hmm. And the way we like to look at this stuff a lot of times is that, so now we have targets for protein, carbohydrates, and fat. The brief cliff cliff notes are get a better sense of your calories, set protein first, set fat probably next, or a mixture of fat and carbs, just because fat truly is essential. And we need a certain amount of that where carbohydrates depends a lot more on, um, you know, how much training you're doing and exercise and energy availability and that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. um, is the basic premise. But a lot of times people will say, well, like, 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 why do I need to track my food? And when you have a specific, you have a specific goal in mind and you want to learn more about your food as you get to that goal, tracking is one of the best ways to do that. It really, really is. That doesn't mean that people need to track their diets forever. And I like to think about it of a life cycle is like, People are like, well, you need like a PhD in nutrition to track your like or PhD in nutrition to track your food. And it's like, I actually think you need the opposite. I think I think you need a PhD in nutrition not to track your food. And in the process, a, you just need adding and subtracting. That's grade four, right? Like that it goes multiplication yeah. to grade five. Yeah, yeah. And that's not to trivialize that there are things that like you'll hear different things, there's different aspects of it. But if someone can run their own personal finance budget, they can do this part of it with their nutrition. And that doesn't mean that there's not like stigma around things and things won't be difficult and stuff, but we just control for that stuff. But what's cool about setting that structure and expectations is now we learn to build the habits within that. Right. And that's where good coaching comes. And that's where um, something like PN, for example, has like, like kind of like they've, they've created a cornerstone in that area of like habit-based behavioral stuff which is good. But if you don't at the same time, if you don't talk about the big picture, either in the structure, it's tough to get a specific result. So we need to blend these two things together in terms of behavior habits, some elements of motivational interviewing, if you're doing some coaching to get people to do the things they need to do within this structure. And what I like to think of a lot of times, like 
let's get you tracking. Doesn't need to be prepared at first. You're going to learn a lot more about your food. You're going to need to know what those individual meals look like and how they contribute to the daily totals. And then we start pulling out some of that control as you get closer to your goal, right? Maybe we start to use different approaches to, you know, it's like my fitness pal goes down for a day. What does your diet look like? Probably not all that different, right? Mm -hmm. Like you don't, like you don't need to just because you don't have the tool anymore. doesn't mean that you don't continue to do the things that you knew were working, but you just rely less on the objective stuff and more on subjective things like um, how you feel hunger levels, fullness, that type of stuff. And the habits you've, you've built to structure your meals and stuff. And then we go from there. And then at the, at the end, like, as we start to pull out most of the structure, you have these habits built out. So you don't need the numbers as much. Can you go back to them? Absolutely. If you have a different goal or want to tune up or think of things in a different way, you can go back to the goals, but you don't need them. Mm -hmm. You mentioned before about the in-body scale, and then Mm -hmm. you mentioned about my fitness pal. What are some trackers that you like to use or you like your coaches using uh, maybe through the dark uh, Dr. Mark method? Yeah. Like any sort of tracking app is great. Actually, interestingly enough, we always like to talk about um, the lady, the, the lovely ladies in our life and what they've tolerated from us. When I started this stuff, I had like a legit spreadsheet with my individual food items and I would like track it with the macronutrients. Um, and I remember, I remember like it might, it must've been like 2011 or 2012. And, and I'd had this up at the laptop at like the dinner table with Amy and she like <laughs> just completely tolerated it because she's, she's wonderful. But yeah. <laughs> I remember, I remember, I, I'm not sure if it was her or one of my coaches at the time were like, you know, you don't have to like do this on the Excel sheet. Like you, there's like, there's, there's apps that, that calculate all this stuff for you. Right. And I was like, no, like not, not like this, like my stuff subtracts all off and I get a sense of like what the daily totals are left, left. Yeah. And I go backwards and they're like, no, 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 this exists. This <laughs> exists, buddy. That. Yeah. 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 No, it's like, well, this app does it and you don't have to copy and paste everything in. It's a lot easier. So my fitness battle is definitely one of the more, um, accessible ones and and one of the easier ones. A lot of times people think like you don't need a premium version either. It's just like, you don't need to set your macronutrients targets to the the nearest one gram close enough works within your goals and kind of go from there. So that is one of the biggest like tools we use is any sort of like tracking based one. And my fitness pal seems to be the most prevalent one. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. When I started, we used to do skinfold calipers and then we'd have to do the calculations by hand. There was no, like, go to this website, plug it in, download this app. Yeah. So I would do all the measurements on someone and be like, okay, you got to come back tomorrow. I need a half hour. Like, I got to do the math by hand and double (laughs) check it. And now you can just download an app and you can put in a skin and boom, it does it all for you. Crazy, right? Crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the thing about, I don't know, one of like, in my nutrition education, you just, a lot of these tools, what you learn about isn't so much like, you know, it's like different utilities for them and pros and cons, right? And there's pros and cons to any sort of tool that you use and depending on what you have access to and something like the in-body scanner, for example, like even if it's quote unquote, not right, it's all, it's all relative, right? And one of the best ways we can use those tools is repeated measurements under similar conditions to get a sense of what's changing and if things are moving in the right direction, right? Mm-hmm. Is, is the biggest thing. Yeah. hundred percent. When you're using those, those tools and you're looking for like averages over time, Mm-hmm. Is it safe to say that they're whatever you're using, as long as you're using the same one, you're good? 
rather than, you know, hop on my scale Monday morning. I'm on my girl. I don't have a girlfriend, but I say I had a girlfriend. So my girlfriend's scale on Tuesday. <laughs> I'm different, different. Okay. My mother-in-law's scale on Tuesday. Surprise. I'll have- okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Buddy. Yeah. Would okay. you, would you, how would you handle that? Like if you have a client or someone and they're like, we're using all these different things. Are you like, I don't care what any of them say, just make sure you use the same one. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. It's all relative. Right. And that's the biggest thing. It'd be different if we're working, working with like a high level weight class athlete where we want to know what's true, but even without that, even without like a weight certification event coming up or anything, it's all going to be relative, right? Mm. Keep it in the same situation. So you control what you can control. And then from there we're adjusting things. And the same thing happens with like, with tracking a lot of times, right? Like as a coach, I'm getting a sense of what someone's capable of and willing to do. Everyone's going to be a little bit different. If someone's going to jump on bodybuilding stage, they got to be dialed in. That's like the, that is the goal of this is to get as lean as possible. Mm. Our average person probably doesn't need to be as accurate in these things. We have higher ranges for what they're going to work within. Maybe we have different like goals and strategies and stuff. And maybe they don't need to, maybe they don't need to track their, their vegetable intake, you know, in mm-hmm. the same way. Maybe they're like, this is just way too overwhelming. Maybe we don't track all the macronutrients or something. So we meet them where they're at, but still within those same principles. One thing that I like to think about is like, yeah, it's all relative. I put, I put almond milk in my coffee like every morning the same coffee, same almond milk. I don't track it. I don't track that like tablespoon of it. Mm -hmm. Right. Just because it's like, it's all relative at the end of the day. Yeah. Right. So it's like those compromises, picking those battles and kind of going from there. So as long as we're doing controlling the things that matter the most and keeping it all relative, we tend to get where we're going. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's the biggest thing. No one, no one needs to be the best at using these tools to become the best at using the tools. We just use the tools to get where we need to be going. No one wants to be the best at their homework, right? We just use homework to get a specific outcome um, in terms of education, right? Yeah, Yeah. the the analogy I'm thinking of is, you know, when you go to buy a hammer to hammer a nail, you're not not gonna only buy the $400 hammer. You'll you'll use anything to hit the nail in and it'll work probably just as good as a $400 hammer. Totally, totally. Awesome. Yeah. Um, have you heard of Chrono Chronometer app? I have heard. I have. I have heard of it. I've heard. Um, my. I want to. I don't know if I would say my techier clients seem to like it, but that seems to be a trend. And I have no context yeah. for that other than the people that have told me that they really, really like it seem to. Um, trend it just really that way. dials in on your micronutrients as well. Gotcha. Right? So, so that's yeah. the big difference. So if you get your nerdy people who they want to know, am I getting my vitamin K, my 200%, whatever, then mm-hmm. it'll, it'll, it'll do that one for you. But gotcha. uh, the, the, my fitness pal, have you had issues with my fitness pal and clients? Cause sometimes you can put in, like, how would you coach someone who says, okay, put in a product and they get 10 different products come up? Yeah. Well, so typically if it, if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. And there's some elements of like, obviously the quickest way to track something is for it to have a barcode. And typically something that has a barcode is going to be something that in most cases is more processed and stuff. So like, that's not always the best line of thinking, but it's the same thing, just keeping things as relative as possible. So like if you repeatedly eat a, uh, like a type of meat or something the same way, just finding an entry that seems quite realistic in terms of what we think. And if it's too good to be true, like you're eating chicken thighs, but you track it and it has zero grams of fat. Well, it's like, well, no, that's not true. You like, you know, like, you know that, right. So we got to find the item, the entry that seems to be the most accurate. And then we just track it that way 
repeatedly, right? Through mm-hmm. time. It's like use that same item at the same time. So it's the same thing. Even if it's not quote unquote true, it's all relative. And that's what matters because we're going to start to adjust the big picture for what we're seeing in terms of biofeedback and how things are moving and kind of go from there. So again, just trying to be as accurate as we can be in an accurate science and that's okay. And then and like a lot of people will be like, well, nutrition labels are notoriously inaccurate, like yada, yada. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. But we still can do a really good job, a good enough job by controlling that stuff. And we don't need to throw everything away just because there are cons to an approach. Yeah. People are quick to just say what's awful about it before even trying it. For sure. In in a lot of things in life. Well, it's, it's going to snow today. I'm not going outside. Is it snowing now? No, but it's going to. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Some people are just, they like to focus on the negative more than the positive. Yeah. Completely. Completely. Diet versus exercise for fat loss. Can you just exercise away the fat or is diet a little bit more effective? Uh, well, you, you definitely, I mean, we're always trying to adjust this balance. You definitely could exercise away the fat. It's just not the magnitude of um, the results and the deficit that you could create. It was never going to touch what you could do through diet, right? And anyone that, again, spend enough time on like like a treadmill or anything that, you know, measures the amount of calories you burn, which again can be inaccurate, but just for the depiction here, mm-hmm. you know that like that can be erased so quickly through what you eat that the magnitude is just off. So, you know, like creating a deficit through diet, be it 500, 700 calories a day, 300 calories a day is so much easier to do and manage through what we eat than it is through exercise. But that's definitely not the picture that we've been painted. And I don't know how many times I've seen like, be it a news report that's even talking about nutrition or the media, it's like always someone walking on a treadmill right? 100%. Like that's like the, the news release is like, this is where they are. Um, they're, you know, or they've got the mask on with like, you know, doing some sort of like CO2 testing on a bike or something. And they're talking yeah. about like some, it's always like diet and exercise, 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 like, like this push, right. And the magnitude of what we can do and the results we can create is always going to be larger through exercise or through diet, just because it's, the, the magnitude's bigger. It, it's it's easier to control, and what we can do and adjust is going to be bigger. Like we can we can eat more vegetables and displace out more calories from more calorie dense foods just easily through that, and and that's probably a more viable approach, and will allow people to um, see better results. And that's not to say that exercise isn't important because it absolutely is. Exercise is the absolute best thing you can do for your overall health, but it is no way a prescription for fat loss. So. I think, I think they need to be separated hundred percent split right down the middle. Yeah. Professionals need to say, cause like you said, you will have a much greater magnitude of losing fat with diet than exercise. People should focus on diet for that. And they should focus on exercise for everything that exercise brings, you know, preventing sarcopenia, you know, longevity or building mm-hmm. more, more um, um, healthy tissue and moving better and enjoying life. Like they're, they're completely separate and you are so right. When people show that the treadmill diet and exercise to burn fat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, like at the end of the day, like it'll completely, and it's one of those things where like best case scenario, you're doing some sort of exercise um, in a resistance training fashion to, you know, um, gain some muscle or at least retain some as well as doing stuff that you enjoy would probably be the next thing. Right. Like it doesn't necessarily like we're always, it's just a compromise, right? You don't yeah. like lifting weights. Well, 
maybe that's a bit unfortunate, but it's not, it's not a, a death sentence by any means. Right. So yeah. also do something that like you enjoy and like doing, like doing that and being active because there's a whole host of other benefits just from, mm-hmm. from exercise. Right. Yeah. So have you seen any um, positives or negatives using flexible dieting for clients and coaches when they're using you maybe six meals a day versus three meals a day versus intermittent fasting? Maybe they're only having two meals a day. Have you seen um, uh, like a consistent difference in any of that? Like in terms of adherence or how well they do? We'll say or? results. Sorry, we'll say result-based. If someone's going to use flexible dieting and they have six meals a day versus someone's going to use flexible dieting and then might have two meals a day because they do intermittent fasting. Have you noticed any differences? Have you seen anything? Yeah. Well, no, I would, well, partially hypothetical, partially real stuff. Like the people that probably eat, eat less frequently, I think would do better on a tracking based approach. There's less room to like input errors, that type of stuff. If they're going to, I'm a proponent of including some food that you don't like isn't quote unquote healthy that you like in terms of adherence. Like that is really, really useful for most individuals. Like when we're doing that, like the margins for error for tracking a little bit more, like you're just introducing, you know, different things and stuff. So it's a little bit tougher. So yeah, I would say like people um, that are eating less frequently tend to do better. Mm -hmm. Um, And well, as well as like, if you're eating more frequently, like you're not going to be able to eat as much food at those individual meals. And typically what that ends up looking like in most cases is most more quote unquote, um, nutrient dense, low calorie foods, right. Which are like easier to track anyway. And like, like you're not, you wouldn't need to track them, I guess is the biggest thing. Cause they yeah. typically look like a serving of protein and vegetables and minimal carbs in most cases. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So do you, do you recommend tracking all like, would you, I know some people was like, here's a nutrition plan. You want to follow it like this, but don't worry about your vegetables. They don't count. Don't, don't count them in my understanding. All calories are calories. Like calories are still things. Yeah. Well, no, no, totally. Completely. I think with that, as with that approach with coaching is like, what are your trade-offs? What are your non-negotiables? Like, what can we do? So you stick with it in some cases, like you need to track peanut butter. You need to track like fat <laughs> sources just because they add up so quick. Right. We, yeah. we don't do a do good job of tracking that. Like what we're doing with the entire deficit or the surplus or someone's goals can be erased entirely with that. Right. Whereas, whereas the lower calorie foods, just the magnitude of error isn't as big, right? Like you need to eat a lot of spinach for that to start to make a difference, mm-hmm. um, which it will make a difference, but just not as much. So it's like where you at. So best case scenario, someone tracks everything. They get comfortable doing that. They do the work in that way. Now, if they're like, I'm just having a hard time entering all this stuff. I'm not, I'm not like, you know, I gotta, I gotta find a way to make this more sustainable. Maybe that's one of the things that we, we pull out kind of thing and kind of go from there. Gotcha. So to have less, less difficulty for the client. Yeah. Less barriers to actually doing it. Right. And I mean, like, again, like Chris Fudge is my client and he's talked about measuring every metric under the sun from, you know, from, for the last 20 years, I'm not worried about it. Right. But as another individual, that's like, there's some barriers for them to sticking to the plan and that becomes overwhelming. Like we see it in, in different ways too. Like a lot of times I'll like, I'll, I'll start working with a vegan client and they've, they've kind of been pounded into their, their minds that they're not going to be able to eat enough protein and it becomes overwhelming. Right. Mm -hmm. Especially when we start to talk about 1.5 grams per kilogram and two grams per kilogram, they're like, well, I'll never get there. And therefore like, I shouldn't do it at all. Right. Where it's like, no, I don't like, now I don't care if it's like for you, like 
what is sustainable here? Is it 1.2 grams per kilogram? Is it more protein than you're eating before? Can you do that realistically? If that is the number, then let's stick to that number so that you don't go back to 0.8 grams per kilogram, right? It's like finding those, those, those minimal changes that add up over time, trending towards the right direction and kind of going from there. So it's like finding what those compromises are. And at the end of the day, like the, the results and the progress are, are what we're after. And if you're getting those with whatever method you're doing in a s- mostly sustainable way, right. is probably the biggest thing. Cause mm-hmm. we know that you could probably get those results doing things that are not going to serve you well in the long term. then we're doing our jobs. We're doing the right things. Mm-hmm. And that's going to look different from person to person within these principles that we talked about. And that's the same thing with fad diets, right. Is like someone goes on a fad diet and they're like, well, the reason why I got leaner was because I followed this, dogmatic nutrition approach. It's like, well, no, like that's not the underlying physiological reason why it happened, but you've connected those dots. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like making sure that all of this stuff is fitting in with the principles we know to be true. Mm-hmm. When you work yeah. with someone and they might have, um, they might say, okay, on this day here, I was completely over all my numbers, too much fat, mm-hmm. too much carb, too much protein, um, my calories were through the roof. Yeah. What are some maneuvers that could happen? Cause I mean, are, are you always coaching a single day attempt? Like on this day, this way you want to get every day. Do you look yeah. at a seven day cycle? Do you look at a 30 day cycle? What happens yeah. if someone goes way over? Most individuals that are exercising one time a day don't need to participate in any sort of calorie cycling. Like it doesn't really, it doesn't really help them or serve them to bring their calories up and down with exercise, just because like the daily totals do enough for the work in terms of glycogen replenishment, feeling energetic and doing that. So if we're consistent enough, one level of food is good enough. Now there are going to be days where someone goes on a, a long, a long hike and burns more calories and they want more food or a day where they're in a different social environment and they just go over. What I typically like to do is like, let's consider that the exception and do whatever you need to do on that day to control your hunger, make it feel good, fit within that structure and leave that day as a, that doesn't mean that we throw the structure out entirely. Right. So I think a lot of times in the social environment situation, it's like that happened. It's done with clean slate, start over. Don't start adjusting your, your calories up and down to compensate for that. And that happened. The reason why I coach it that way is because it's for a few reasons. Number one, doing that reinforces that you did something wrong. And that's really not the case, right? Like, Mm -hmm. it's just like, it's food at the end of the day. Like, was it within your targets? No, it wasn't. But adjusting for that is just reinforces that what I did was bad and I shouldn't do that anymore. And when I do it again, which will inevitably happen, I've done something wrong and I should punish myself and beat myself up. Like, that's not cool. Like, it's Mm -hmm. just, again, this is a tool we use. It doesn't run our lives. It's just part of the process. So adjusting for things reinforces that you did something bad. So starting the next day off clean slate, going back to the normal targets and just moving forward is the best way to approach. Additionally, when you start to talk about like seven day averages and and bigger picture stuff, when we look at like, even if there was one off day that was way higher out of the park, we look at the seven day average. If someone tracked that, it really doesn't affect those numbers all that much, right? Like it doesn't even move the needle. What if, like, six which, day, what if six days were like that and one day was bang on? That's a different story, <laughs> right? That's a different story entirely. But what we're talking about most cases, and most people aren't like that. It's, it's usually the one day 
And they started to think like, oh, that's wrong. I got to adjust for it, go up and down kind of thing. And I just don't like to reinforce it that way because it's not necessary for most, most individuals. So but does it, but does it work? Like if you are working with, if you got a power lifter, right. Mm-hmm. And they got to make a weight class and they have a surplus on one day and, and they're, you know, they are just committed to this mm-hmm. process, not long-term, yep. but they just want to yep. make their weight. Would you make those adjustments or suggest it? Uh, you know, honestly, in my experience, we like, we don't need to, what, what typically happens is that like, especially if someone's like training for a competition, let's say they're trying to get within striking range of a weight class. So like they're on a deficit training, getting towards that. Um, we'll probably work in like a weekly refeed, a higher carb day to manage their appetite and stuff on one Mm -hmm. day per week, as opposed to going up and down because and in, in, from adherence standpoint, the simplest approach is always going to be the best. And someone training once per day, like we don't need to, we don't need to get them refueled for the next training session that's in six hours. So like meal timing isn't as important, like getting right back to eating isn't as important because they're not going to typically train until the next day or the previous day. So recovery is usually managed pretty, pretty well in most mm-hmm. cases. So in most cases, no, we keep the same level of food. Now, if hunger becomes um, unmanageable and appetite levels and energy levels start to tank. We start, might start to think about, um, working in some, some aspect of calorie cycling, or at least a, a day where we can focus on replenishing their glycogen stores, like through a refeed or something like that. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, like adherence is always the most important thing. Like are what we're suggesting, um, is it allowing them to stick to it? And I have two examples here that are interesting. Number one is, I've had some like physique clients that swear by calorie cycling. They love it. This is what they need to do. This goes back to the, the outlier 2.5 grams per kilogram individual, like, right. They, they know it's going to work. And to me, that psychology around adherence and what's going to work is always the most important. Right. So it's like, okay, we're still going to use the principles of like, you know, calories matter. This is what it looks like, but we can do some calorie cycling because number one, I know you're going to stick to it. And it's, what's going to get you excited about this process and sticking to it. So we're, we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Interesting enough from another adherence standpoint though, I've had athletes <clears throat> lifting four or five times per, per week, um, where we're going to start doing some, some refeeds, like two times a week, three times a week, or some sort of like carb cycling, that type of thing. And I actually plan their higher days on their off days because now they have three less hours of training to do per day and they have a lot more time to eat. It actually mm. makes it easier for them to stick to some higher calorie days because they're not just sitting around twiddling their thumbs being like, Oh, I'm hungry. Like, what am I going to do? Right. So we like, I'm like, let's put the higher carb day that day. Um, if anything, by the time you get to training 16 hours later, um, the, the glucose is going to be refueled as glycogen is going to do its magic and you're going to feel better. So it's like adherence is always what's Mm -hmm. interesting here. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's, that's such a cool, um, I've never heard of someone doing that, putting it on that day because they have more time to eat more food. Have you found like better for recovery as well when people do it that way? If, if anything, um, I'm not sure I've noticed it's better for recovery, but if anything, it's not worse and it allows them to stick to it. Right. Yeah. So it's like, that's a trade-off, right? Mm-hmm. Especially yeah. if someone's hung, like they're, they need to stay within a certain amount of calories to get to a weight class and they're hungry. Like we're just playing the psychology one on this one, right? Like you got, you're not spending a half an hour in the car on the way to the gym training for two hours and then a half hour on the way home. Like that's all stuff 
that doesn't make you mindless, right? Because you're like on the way there focusing stuff. It's like three hours that you typically aren't consuming a lot of calories, maybe like mm-hmm. a protein shake and a small pre-workout snack or whatever it is kind of thing, but it's not huge, right? Yeah. It's not like sitting at home, twiddling my thumbs, thinking like, when's the next meal? This is awful, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like just playing to what the situation is within the principles that we know to be true. And and that stuff is always, always interesting to me. One thing, one story I thought about Chris that kind of like shook things up for me and changed the game. Um, I probably would have been a more of a proponent, like in the early two thousands of like a higher protein, low carb approach, frequent meals, a lot, like a a lot of professionals in this space were doing. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I remember it was Shelby Starnes on an Instagram post and it must've been like 2008 or something. And I remember him and it kind of ties into some intermittent fasting stuff. I remember him talking about the breakdown of his meals and he was like, uh, it was a picture of him, like, like shirtless flexing or something. And he was talking about his different meals. And the first bullet point was like, um, I wake up in the morning and I start drinking coffee and I don't eat my first meal until like 10 AM. And I remember like just seeing the comments and people being like, well, like, this is crazy. Like this, like, what, why would you do that? Like, aren't you going to like, aren't you, aren't you afraid of losing muscle? And I remember him responding to it and being like, what do you think? Right. And I'm, I remember like, again, I don't like to like, I mean, that's like, it's one individual yeah. like saying that, but I remember it just being so profound to me because I'm like, yeah, what, like, what do I think? Right. Like, it's like, look at this, look at this guy, right. Look at this individual. Like he's clearly not losing. Yeah. Well, no, he's like, he's clearly not losing muscle, right? Like maybe some of these things aren't as important as others. And that's where kind of like meal timing and stuff where it's like, maybe you don't need to be, you don't need to be fasting for 16 hours, but maybe you don't need to eat that first meal half hour after waking. And it needs to look like this, right? Like, putting in some context for the things that matter more and matter a little bit less. And I remember that just being like really profound because um, probably being someone that like was really results focused would do just about anything had being, you know, painted this picture that you need to do certain things a certain way. That was just an interesting critical thinking moment because mm-hmm. I remember being like, ah, yeah, I, I had one this- of those. Um, I had one of those at a seminar with Paul check. Paul Check gets up there, he's in front of a room, you know, and his seminar is bringing big numbers. So there's like maybe two, 300 people in there. The doors are, are shut and there's people standing. There's no room to sit anymore. Paul gets up there, he walks around. He starts unbuttoning his shirt, takes it off. I was like, <laughs> what? Rips off the belt, takes it off, pulls his pants down to his ankles. He's sitting there in his gitch and he, and he looks around and everyone's like, they don't know what to expect. He goes, I feel like if you're going to talk about nutrition, you should be able to do it in your underwear. Oh man. <laughs> so he did his whole, his whole 90 minute spiel in his underwear. Just up there in his gitch, just talking about carbs, fats, protein. He eventually one time talked about eating carbs at one meal and then protein at another meal. And then howling at the moon at the third meal, like a little bit out there. But I remember mm-hmm. one time I was like that, that guy, I, I'm, I'm not talking about nutrition unless I'm in my underwear moving forward. And the rock, the rock is, is another person who says certain things. Mm-hmm. I have, General, I have more than one where this has come up. That's why it sticks out. More than one client, general pop people, you know, they want to be healthy for their kids. They want to, you know, in the summertime, you know, be in a bathing suit, feel pretty good. They've said things like they'd send me the Rock's cheat meal, right? 70 pancakes, right? A whole slab of butter. Yeah, the slab of pancakes. That, yeah, yeah, <clears throat> that does stick out to me. Yeah, it just sends it. And they're like, yeah, the Rock's on his cheat meal. And I'm like, awesome. And they're like, I'm having that this weekend. I'm like, well, first off, you ain't the rock. 
<laughs> he has like you barely a pebble. And, he has 240 pounds of lean body mass. Yeah, like that, yeah. That glucose, like it's got places to go. Yeah, yeah. But and he would just, you know, people would fall into that cat. When do I get my cheat meal? How do I have a cheat meal uh, or whatever? And then you mentioned earlier about a refeed. Yeah. Would you yeah, explain so- that a bit more? The way I like to call all this stuff like <clears throat> dietary deviation. So like we're doing a tracking based diet, like what happens when either we can't track or there is some sort of situation where we should be eating more food or there's a social environment. The refeeds really come into place where it's like um, either someone has some sort of longer and longer based event, like an endurance event where we start to do like a higher carb feeding protocol or in a deficit where hunger starts to become an issue as well as energy levels, right? Like a refeed just is, is good to be able to replenish our glycogen levels, feel better. And there's a psychological thing that goes along as well. And typically it's just like working up your calories to closer to maintenance and making up the difference in carbs in most cases. So for most individuals, this looks like 50 to 125 150 more grams of carbs on that one individual day. Mm -hmm. Um, Typically that makes them feel better. Um, It allows them to work in like some, maybe some sort of like social meal where it's like different foods or eat their normal carb sources in larger amounts. Right. So we like to get away from like this, like cheat meal mentality where it's like, I'm just going to eat whatever I want. No strings attached because it's never no strings attached. Um, and not to say that's like, there's no good or bad foods, but there's, like, there's just implications of whatever you do in either direction. So it's just usually like more carbs. And if that means you want to eat ice cream and you wouldn't necessarily great, if that means you want to eat more of your carb sources that you normally eat in larger amounts, great. Like that's what we do. And that, that's kind of the refeed. Um, instead of a cheat meal, what I like to do with a lot of clients is something called the flex day. And the flex day is that partial tracking day where you eat more protein throughout the course of the day and then take a period off from the objective side of things and eat like a normal human being um, without adhering to the numbers, right? So mm-hmm. typically it's like if, you're, if your macronutrients were 200 grams of protein, 300 grams of carbs, and 70 grams of fat, we would set you up on like until 4 p.m., 120, 130 grams of protein, 120 grams of carbs and 35, 40 grams of fat, slightly less calories overall, but a bit more protein than you typically would eat at that point. Take the meal off to eat like a normal person. It's great for like wedding meals and birthday parties and stuff, but don't be objective. Eat what everyone else is eating, but eat until you're mostly full and enjoy yourself, have a drink, have a couple of drinks, that kind of thing, and then get back to things, right? So it's like, the structure of not having to follow specific objective numbers, but then also um, still creating a buffer so that you stick within your goals in most cases. So Mm -hmm. like that would be a different way to kind of approach this, like getting to do something that's different, but still having a lot of control. And that's probably been one of like the single handedly, that's like my summer saver. That's why clients stay on with me when they're like in a Saskatchewan summer that they've waited all year for. And they're like, I just want to go to the lake and have like some like drinks and stuff, which I completely think is a wonderful thing. Like Mm -hmm. you need to enjoy that kind of stuff. But where do we, where's some, what, what element of structure can you have so that like at least things continue to move in the right direction kind of Mm -hmm. thing. So something like that is, is good. What's uh what's your lake drink? Um, that's a good question. I, 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 I've, I like, I really like, I like my snobby beers. Um, So in a lot of cases, like, I don't know, it's funny as you age, you kind of focus a little bit more on quality versus quantity. So I wouldn't, I don't get Like I typically will drink like a couple like IPAs or something like that. Like hazy IPAs and sours have been like 
Sours. I, yeah. They're, yeah. they're popular, man. I had one at a beer fest uh, when we used to have <sighs> festivals um, two summers ago. I never had a sour. I was with a, a friend of mine. He's like, you got to try the sours. The sours are good. I said, okay. So I see a tent and I walk over and uh, the guy's like, what can I get to you? I'm like, like one of these sour, like what's the most sour beer you got? Not knowing it would be yeah. as sour as it was. So they gave me one. I, came, I, 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 I had a sip and right away it was just like I ate a lemon. My yeah. lips went inside my mouth. They disappeared. <laughs> my mustache was gone. I yeah. go find my buddy. I'm like, is, is this the shit you drink? Mm-hmm. He takes a sip. He's like, oh my, that's the sourest beer I've ever had. Yeah. But then when I had one that wasn't that intense, I was like, these are pretty good beers. Maggie, Maggie yeah. loves sour beers. They're good. I don't like, and I don't like, 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 I don't like, like ciders or anything, but there's something about sour beers that like, I don't, I definitely don't like sweet things, but the, I don't know. Something about the sours are just like the perfect level of, um, especially something like the sour IPAs and stuff. It's just like the perfect level of everything. So right now, um, I like tiger, like tiger shark from Phillips is like the oh, right yeah. level of like beer that tastes good. That also isn't like super overwhelming and is like decent enough. I think it might be 4.5%. A lot of times you just get knocked on your, on your ass with some of those beers, right. Where it's yeah. just like 200 calories and 8% booze. And you're like, man, this is, yeah. Well, hits, yeah. 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 So, so that, like something like that and getting back to the tracking stuff too, like there's no reason why you can't have some alcoholic beverages within reason and within your numbers and still make progress. Right. So for a lot of clients, it's like, try to still hit your protein target, but displace out alcohol calories for carbohydrates and fat. And Mm -hmm. if that seems too overwhelming, just make a little bit more room within your calories and just only track to a certain amount and have work in a few alcoholic beverages. Right. Like there's no reason why you can't do that and still, um, and still make progress. Mm-hmm. Right. So that would be one of the biggest things I've actually written an article on this and I cited T-Pain in it because he so succinctly like said the don't rapper blame T-Pain. It. Yeah. Don't blame it on the alcohol. Actually, I think that maybe was Jamie Foxx, but a T-Pain <laughs> song. Um, maybe it actually, maybe it was a Jamie Foxx song. Maybe I got to go back and rewrite that article. The reference is off, but yeah, there's no reason why you can't do that kind of stuff and, and still make progress. And that to me is like, now starting to remove some of the barriers to someone living a life that they can enjoy while making progress and making sense of this whole nutrition thing. Love it. You gave so many um, beneficial tips today for anyone sitting here who, you know, wants to take their nutrition a little bit serious, or if they're in the fitness industry and they want to, you know, do things a little bit more effective. I mean, what I hear from you is tracking is important, but it's not forever. It doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be perfect, which will still lead to it being effective. Um, and then you got to meet the client kind of where they are and make sure it's realistic. Am I safe to say that those were some of the big ones today? That was a great synopsis. I might, uh, yeah, no, I might, I, in terms of phil- like philosophy, that's, that's bang on dude. Awesome. This yes. fall, this fall, you're running another cohort of the Dr. Mark method. Can you just give a quick little spiel of, you know, who's that for, who would benefit from that? Yeah, it's a 12 week online nutrition coaching course. And I've like, I, I'm an adult educator. I taught two full university courses through my PhD. And this has really given me the opportunity to um, train nutrition coaches. So a lot of times people that have their own like personal transformation story and want to learn more about the science of nutrition so they can use that passion to help others or personal trainers so that we know that people come into us to, to talk about like they want to gain muscle or lose weight and nutrition is actually much more effective way to do that. So they want to be able to add that nutrition coaching service um, into their, their services and get their clients better results while being able to make more money. That's what these, this coaching course is, is for. And honestly, like it's been, it's been 
so fulfilling to me to see these people put this into practice, change lives, make money doing it while using evidence-based strategies and creating this almost like new lives for themselves. And it's Mm -hmm. just been a way to give me, for me to have more impact, but also for the individual coaches, man, like they're, they're crushing it. And it's just, uh, it's been really, really cool. And I would, I don't know, I don't want the hard sell here, but it's been a life-changing program for sure. (laughs) Well, with COVID going on, everything is now flipped to being virtual and this is a virtual course. And, you know, I can speak, I've had I've had clients and friends go through the program and then their, their level of knowledge and then the way to actually apply it is yeah. increased um, threefold to help them and their business. And I'm seeing it thrive. So that's coming Amazing. up in the fall. Yep. I'll get your information on that. I'll check her in the old show notes there. If anybody wants to jump in on it and yeah. uh, truthfully, I love the work you do. I, I think Thank that you. what you do for the industry is very beneficial as a personal trainer you know, you, you are the PhD guy, but you're yeah. also like a realistic guy. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and you, yeah, you showed you that be. today. Yeah. Yeah. And you showed that today. So I, I love the work you do and I appreciate you taking the time to come on the podcast again. So thank you so much, my friend. Likewise. Thanks for having me. Thanks for uh, giving me a platform to talk about this stuff that I'm obviously passionate about, but you're doing great work too. So thanks for having me on. Thanks. And now, now I'm hungry. There you go. Well, when you talk about food a lot, do you get hungry? Yeah, definitely a little bit, a little bit. I think you might be right smack dab in, in, in the middle of dinner time though. So it's Straight coming up. Straight up dinner time yeah. for me. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Mark. Thanks for having me. See you, bud. Never stop learning because life never stops teaching. If you've learned at least one thing from this podcast and your mission is to help other people, please share this podcast with them. And a reminder, we will be releasing one episode every Monday for the entire year. So make sure to hit subscribe so you get the updated information as soon as possible. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. And thank you so much for allowing me to be part of it.